Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. If you have a Bible, I want you to open with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 20 again. In case you didn't know, now you do. I am a Mets fan, repping, it, uh, repping the shirt. And this is a wonderful time of the year because there's baseball on every day. It's wonderful. And so... I am being a big Mets fan that I am, uh, subscribed to the MLB uh, TV package, and so I'm able to watch uh, the Mets play almost every day, unless they play the Reds or they're blacked out or something like that. And so I was watching a game a couple, couple weeks ago last week or something, and they were in Denver playing the Rockies. And it was one of those games where the score was pretty lopsided, and so the, the broadcast booth kind of has some freedom to start discussing other things. And uh, if you've ever watched baseball, you've seen things like that happen. Well, they just happened to mention that there is a law in Denver that you are it is not legal for you to let your neighbor borrow your vacuum cleaner. You can let someone down the street borrow it, but not your next-door neighbor. That's against the law. And they were just pointing out how this is silly and, you know, we all have probably heard of laws like this in different places, maybe different, you know, local communities have, have strange laws like this. And perhaps they're there for a reason. There may have been a reason why that came into place, but it's still a current law. And we think of things like that and we think, man, that's silly. That's kind of ridiculous. And as Josh said just a minute ago, I'm uh, helping him coach a t-ball team. And uh, when you play t-ball... There are rules, okay? So laws and rules, not exactly the same thing, but, but very similar. And I was not aware of this before starting to coach t-ball, but I've come to be aware that there's a rule when you play t-ball that the outfielders cannot do infield things and infielders cannot do outfield things. And so it sounds kind of silly because we had a, an example where a ball was hit past the infield. The center fielder's like literally right behind second base. He grabs the ball, tags the kid who's standing off second base, and he's not out because he's an outfielder. You can't tag the infield guy who's running because you're the outfielder. And it sounds silly in the same way that the other law sounds silly. But when you really think about it, it's, it makes sense because you're teaching these young kids how to play the game, right? When they get older... The center fielder is not going to be right behind second, second base. He's not going to be in the position to make that play, and so he's got to know that he's got to throw it to the infield. And so one of the things that that rule is doing is it's helping us understand the game, helping these kids understand how the game is to be played. Well, we now come to Exodus and the Ten Commandments, and these rules are not silly, silly laws that God has put in place that are only specific, that only apply to a certain people at a certain time. These are laws that God has given for a specific reason. Now, before we get into uh, Exodus 20, I want us to look, uh, flip back to Exodus 3. I don't know if anybody has mentioned this yet, but I think it's important. When God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he mentions in verses 1 and 2 that he is the God who has led them out of slavery in Egypt. Hopefully you're familiar with that story. 
But before God leads them out of slavery in Egypt, God comes to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And I want you to see what God says to Moses. We're going to begin uh, chapter 3, verse 9. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, what God desires after he frees his people from, Israel, from Egypt is that they serve him. So now, fast forward, and we come to Exodus chapter 20. God has freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And now God is saying, Here's the Ten Commandments. This is how you serve me. This is how you obey me and worship me. Okay, so the context is important. Okay, God has not said to Israel, hey, here's a list of rules. When I see that you're keeping them and that you're doing great, then I'll take you out of Egypt. It's the other way around. God frees them from slavery in Egypt. He works salvation with his mighty arm. And then he says, now here's how you are to serve me. And he gives the Ten Commandments. So we come to the fourth commandment tonight. We've looked at the first three already. And if, if you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments, you may not know that there's a natural break in the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our relationship with God. And then the last six deal with our relationship with other people. Okay, so commandment one, two, three, and four our relationship with God, and then 5 to 10, our relationship with one another. This is why Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments with, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Jesus is summarizing the Ten Commandments by, it deals with our relationship to God, and it deals with our relationship to one another. So, I've got two main points tonight. The first is that we want to See what the Sabbath command meant to Israel, because Israel is the original audience. Okay, so we want to see what the initial Sabbath command meant for Israel. And then the second thing we want to do is to see what the Sabbath command means for you and I who live in New Testament times. What does the, New Test or what does the Sabbath command mean for you and I who are living in New Testament times? So let's read it. It's Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So if we want to understand what the Sabbath meant for Israel, let's look at what this says. Okay, The first thing it says is that the Sabbath day is a day that's to be remembered. Okay, You are to remember the Sabbath day. 
Now, we typically don't have a problem remembering things that are important to us, okay? May 14th is an important day for me. That's my anniversary. And this year, we're celebrating 10 years. So it's a big milestone. I don't have to work that hard to remember that. I probably do have it in my calendar, but I'm not going to quickly and easily forget that because that day is important to me. It's the same with all of our children's birthdays. It's easier for us because they're all in one month. But I remember those days because they're important to me. And what God is asking in this command is to remember the Sabbath day. God is desiring that this day be an important day in the life of Israel so much that they remember it. It's going to happen every seven days. We're going to see that in just a moment. But God wants this day to be important to his people. He's telling them to remember it. The second thing that we notice here is that this day is to be kept holy. Okay, so God asked the Israelites to remember the Sabbath day, but then he also says to keep it holy. Now, when we hear that word holy, we almost always attribute it to God and his moral perfection. Okay, but the word itself does not have a moral uh, understanding with it. Okay, the word itself literally means set apart or different. So when he says to keep the Sabbath day holy, he's not saying that the day itself needs to be morally perfect the way God is. He's saying it needs to be different from the other days. And he's going to say here in just a moment that the other six days, there are six days in which you work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, right? This is to be different. That's what he means by saying it is holy. And so you are to remember it, and you are to keep it holy, meaning you keep it different from the other six days, okay? It is to be a stopping from work. We see this in verses 9 and 10. He says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay, so the word Sabbath by itself comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease or to stop. So that's what the, the meaning of the word Sabbath comes from. So it is a day of stopping, quite literally, by the words that are used here. So God's intention is for work to be done on six days out of the week, but the seventh day is to be a day that they remember, they keep it holy, and it is a day that they stop. They stop their work, they stop their normal routines, and they focus on God. Okay? It is to be uh, to the Lord, right? Look at what he says down at the end of verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so God made the seventh day holy. That is why the people of Israel are to keep it holy. They are to keep it different because God made it that way. Okay, so they are to stop from their work. But also, it is to be a regular reminder of the covenant between God and Israel. Uh, we see this back in at the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 and 2. Like I said at the beginning, God begins giving the Ten Commandments by reminding Israel of what he has already done for them. Verses 1 and 2, he says, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God is reminding the Israelite people, I have done this work of salvation for you. That is why I am giving you these commands. And the Sabbath day 
is meant to be a day that we stop from our work, and it is a day that we focus on God. We focus on the salvation that God has worked for his people. A little bit later in Exodus, this is Exodus chapter 31, verses 13 through 17. He says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generation that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. I don't know how you can be much more clear than that passage. God intends the Sabbath day to be a stopping from work for the sake of remembering what God has done. Remembering the salvation that God has worked for them. Another thing that we see about this command is it is one of only two that is not stated in a negative way. And what I mean by that is the rest of the commands are you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. But this one, the fourth command, the Sabbath command, and the next one, the fifth command, are stated in a positive way. Rather than saying you shall not do something, they are stated the opposite way. You shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You shall honor your, mother, your, your father and your mother that it may go well with you. Okay, so it's one of only two commands that's listed not in a negative way or stated in a negative way, but in a positive way. And I think the reason for this is because this is a good thing for the people of Israel. That as they keep the Sabbath the way God has intended it, it will provide blessing to the people. This passage from Isaiah 58 explains this really well. This is Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, this is what God has intended for the Sabbath day. That as Israel keeps the Sabbath day, this is what they receive. They will take delight in the Lord, and he will make them ride on the heights of the earth. Now that to me sounds like something that, yeah, I want that. I want to delight in the Lord more. I want to ride on the heights of the earth, whatever that even means. That sounds awesome. Let's do it. And God is saying, I'm giving you this, this command, this fourth command, that as you keep it, that is going to be the result. You see, I think oftentimes we think of rules and laws in such a way that as long as I don't break it, I don't get in trouble. We don't typically think of them as, well, as long as I obey it, 
I receive blessing, and it actually benefits me. It's good for me to obey the law and to keep it. We almost always think of it in the other sense, that, well, as long as I don't break it, I won't get in trouble. God intended the Sabbath day to be a good blessing for his people. But there's one more thing I want you to notice about the Sabbath day. It occurs every seven days after the pattern of creation. So he says here in verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I do want you to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, page one, a.k.a. Genesis one. Because I want you to see this. This is really fascinating. So it's clear Moses is saying, well, sorry, God is saying, Moses is recording it, that the intention of the Sabbath day is to work six days and then to rest for a day. The reason for that is because that's what God did in creation. Now, we're not going to read the entire chapter of, of Genesis 1, but I want you to see that at the end of each day of creation, the day itself is named, okay? So you have in verse 5, God called the light day, in the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. All right, you can skip on down to verse uh, 8. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now we could do this, you could look down at all the different days of creation, and at the end of the day, it is named, and it is listed. So each day of creation, day one through six, is, is mentioned one time. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Just listen for how many times the, the seventh day is mentioned. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So days one, two, three, four, five, and six are all mentioned one time. Day seven is mentioned three times. And day seven is given the least amount of verses from the rest of the days. Interesting. Also, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This is how it describes the beginning of creation. And if you look at the days, days 1, 2, and 3 seem to be God's answer for the fact that the earth was formless. Because in days 1, 2, and 3, God creates the form, or he creates the habitat, if you will. And then days four, five, and six, God fills the habitat with beings, right? With, with fish and with birds and with uh, animals on the ground. And then ultimately on day six with humans. So it seems, that if you look at it, that days one and four go together, right? God makes the, uh, the, the heavens and the earth. And then God fills it with, uh, with creatures. Day two, he creates the earth. Sorry, first day is water. Day one is water's and the sky. And on day four, he creates the fish and the birds. Day two, God creates land. Day five, God creates the uh, trees and he fills it with animals, things like that. Day six, you've got, sorry, day, I'm confusing myself here. Day, <laughs> but anyway, here's what you get. Days one and four correspond. Days two and five correspond. Days three and six correspond, like they have a pair. And then day seven sits by itself. 
But now look back at chapter 2. So the heavens are finished and all the hosts of them in verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the first thing that we see in the Bible that God sets apart as holy, is day seven of creation. He does not set aside anything else that he had made as holy, Day seven is the first thing. And God setting apart day seven as holy is the only thing he sets apart as holy in the entire book of Genesis. You see, I think we often think about Genesis and the creation account as day six is the pinnacle of creation because on it man was made. And man was made in God's image and after his likeness. But I think the Genesis account is making it clear that day seven is really the pinnacle of creation. The Sabbath day, the day that God rested, is really the pinnacle of creation. And day seven is where man, being in the image of God, finds its true meaning. Because it is set apart for man who bears the image of God to have communion with God. So I think the seventh day is the pinnacle of creation. And now the, the fourth commandment here, you are, to, you are to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, is so important. Because God himself is the one who made the Sabbath day holy. God intended from the foundation of the world that the seventh day would be a day for his people made in his image to be in communion with him. I think that's significant. So we come back here. To Exodus chapter 20. And notice what God is asking the Israelites to do. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days work, one day rest. God is asking the Israelites to do what he does or to do what he did. God is inviting the Israelites to imitate him. Work six days, rest. Because we are made in his image. We are meant to reflect him and his likeness. That is how God worked in creation. And that is how he is inviting us to be image bearers like he is. To work for six days and to rest for a day. So one of the things that's significant about the, the Sabbath command is that God is inviting us to imitate him. God wants us to be like him. So in summary, the the Old Testament understanding or the Israelite understanding of the Sabbath day would be that it's a day of, of remembering, it's a day of keeping holy, it's a day of stopping from our work in an effort to focus on God and an invitation to imitate God, to be like God in the way that he works. So before we move to how should we understand the, new, the Sabbath command in New Testament days, I do also think that in keeping the Sabbath command, it is going to help us to keep the first three. Think about this. Every seven days, God is saying, set that day apart. It's to be different. Don't make it like all the rest of the days. This is supposed to be a unique day. Stop from your work and focus on God. Remember the salvation that he has worked for you. And so every seven days, we're reminding ourselves of who is our God. 
His command one is, you shall have no other gods before me. So a regular reminder every seven days of who our God is. Who's the one who brought us out of Israel or out of Egypt? It's God. So as we observe the Sabbath, we're going to be continually reminding ourselves that there is no other God. There is no other God that we would run to and, and have. Right? We're reminded of the second commandment. We're not, we're not to have any carved images or any false idols. If we are every week reminding ourselves every seven days of who God is and what he has done to save us, idols are not going to have any interest for us. Our hearts are going to be fixed on the true God. And we're going to be reminded that God is holy. God's name is not to be taken lightly. God's name is not to be taken in vain. See, keeping the Sabbath command is going to help keep the first three. But I think it's also going to help us keep the rest. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery and all the rest. And I think it's going to help us keep the rest because it's an invitation to imitate God. Well, we know that God is not a murderer. We know that God does not steal. God is not a, an adulterer. And so by it being invited to imitate God in the fourth commandment, that is going to help us obey the rest of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath command is so important. But the reality is that we're here tonight and none of us are Israelites living in the Old Testament. And so we've got to understand, well, Okay, well, that's great for Israel, but that, how does that apply to you and I? So let's talk for just a minute about what does the Sabbath mean for you and I who are living in New Testament times? Just a few facts about the Sabbath command in the New Testament. The Sabbath command is never repeated in the New Testament, whereas others are. Now, it's referenced, don't get me wrong, okay, the Gospels say over and over again that Jesus was doing something and it was on the Sabbath day, right? The Sabbath day is not ignored in the New Testament, but the command itself to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is not repeated in the New Testament. We never see Christians observing the Sabbath after Pentecost. We never see that in the Bible. We never see the apostles teaching Gentiles to observe the Sabbath. So those are just a couple facts, but we also understand from some, from some of the, the New Testament letters that the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. Listen to these words that, that Paul wrote to the, the Colossian church. This is Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, all of these things that were instituted in the Old Testament, they were meant to point us to Christ. So the Sabbath, as he's saying here, is a shadow of the things that are to come, which finds its fullness in Christ. And we know from our call to worship passage that the Sabbath finds its fulfillment in Christ. That's, that's the passage that we read for our call to worship. And once again, Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11 says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
You see, the author of Hebrews is telling us that we find our ultimate Sabbath rest in Christ. So, knowing all of that, how do we understand the Sabbath command? Well, one, I think the key for us to remember is that one of the main focuses of the Sabbath is to be a day of stopping and focusing on God. God clearly wanted the Israelites to stop from their normal, everyday routines and to use that day to focus on Him, to be reminded of the salvation He has worked for them. That's a good thing. That is absolutely applicable today. Now, He also invited them to imitate Him by working in that 6-1 pattern. God is inviting the Israelites to imitate Him. Now, who are we to imitate in the New Testament? Christ. We are told over and over and over again to imitate Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We also know that the whole process of sanctification is to be made into the image of Christ. And so it's very clear in the New Testament we are to be imitators of Christ. And who is Christ? He's God. See, I think the Sabbath command has so many applications for you and me, even though we are not bound by the law in the same way that the Israelites were. So thinking along the lines of stopping from our work to focus on God, do you regularly stop from your work to focus on God? We are New Testament people. We meet on the the first day of the week. Sabbath would have been on Saturday. We don't do that anymore. We meet on the first day of the week because that's the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. We see that very clearly in Acts. The church began to meet on the day that Jesus rose from the grave, right? But it's still a weekly thing. It still happens every seven days. Are you spending time stopping from your work to focus yourself on God? Now, I'm not saying that has to be every Sunday. I think it's great if it is. But are you setting aside time in your life, in your busy schedule, to focus your heart on God? That's one of the things that we do on Sunday mornings. That's one of the things that we do now, Sunday evening. We're stopping from our normal schedule. Nobody right here is at work. Hopefully nobody's working on their phone or something. And we're focusing our hearts on God and what he has said in the word. But that, even though we're not commanded to do that now in the New Testament, is a wise practice. Because we all know, we sing it every so so often, our hearts are prone to wander. And so if we don't regularly take time out of our schedule to focus our hearts on God, our hearts are going to wander. Does your reflection on God's salvation urge you to share it with other people? When you stop from your work, when you block out all the distractions of life and you focus on God and you think about the salvation that he has worked for you in Christ, does that lead you to share that with others? Are you evangelistic at all when you think about all the many ways in which God has worked for you? Does that lead you to share with others? 
Do your activities lead you to delight more in God, or do they keep you distracted from God? There are a lot of activities that we like to do that are great, they're good, but are they leading you to delight in God, to find happiness in God, or are they distracting you from getting focused on God? Are they distracting you from stopping everything to focus on God? One of the things we see Jesus doing over and over and over again on the Sabbath day in the New Testament is doing good. And the Pharisees get so bent out of shape about it because they had made the Sabbath all about not working. They had totally ignored the whole imitate God aspect. And what we see in the New Testament is that Jesus is imitating God by doing good, by showing mercy, by showing kindness over and over and over again. Do you make it a priority to be merciful to others? Do you make it a priority to do good to others? Are you imitating Christ? Are you seeking to be like him as you see him in the scriptures? But lastly, do you find your rest in Christ? and the work that he has done on the cross. See, ultimately at the heart of the Sabbath command is rest. And God desires that his people would rest in him. God wants his people to understand that salvation comes from him and him alone. Salvation is done by him and him alone. There's nothing we can do to add to it. We are to rest in it. God wanted the Israelite people to every seven days focus themselves on what God has done to bring them out of slavery in Egypt. Remember the salvation of the Lord. And what God wants for you and for me is to remember over and over every day of our lives the salvation that he has worked for us through Jesus on the cross. And that is where we find our rest. See, we work so hard to try and make ourselves right, to try and feel like we were in a right standing before God. Well, I've read my Bible this many times and I've been to church this many times and perfect attendance, all of that. We fall into the trap of believing that and thinking that matters. But that's us trying to work. That's us trying to find salvation in what we do. God wants us to find our, our rest in what he has already done. You see, we don't have to keep the Sabbath command in the same way that the Israelites did. But the heart of the Sabbath command is that we would be focused on God. And that we would be like God. And that we would find our rest in what he has done, not in what we have to do. Are you resting in God? Are you trusting in Jesus? Do you believe that his blood has covered your sins? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Sabbath command. We thank you that you have taught us 
that as image bearers, we are to be like you. God, we see in Jesus that he is so kind and compassionate and caring. I pray that it would be our heart to be like Jesus. God, I pray that we would be taking regular time set apart from our schedule to focus on you. To get our hearts fixed on you and the salvation you've worked for us. God, we thank you for the Sabbath command. I pray that it would be a blessing to us as we consider it, as we consider the truth of it. God, help us to find our rest in you, not in the work of our hands. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.